It is 3 o'clock here at KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is October the 13th, 2015. Now, I was up last night, all night. I didn't get to bed till about 6.30 this morning, so <laughs> you'll forgive me if I sound a little foggy. I, I was in a state. I had looked very carefully at... Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, the guy that's running Russia, the new strong man, everybody loves a strong man, especially women. I heard um, some, uh, some anonymous uh, Russian, you know, the man in the street say how much the uh, Russians loved Putin, kind of because he has things under control, you know. Something something sent a terrific chill down my spine, and so I started taking notes. That's all I ever do, just take notes. Uh, I started scribbling, let's see, Putin, P-U-T-I-N, and then I came up with Rasputin, you know, add R-A-S in the front. Rasputin, right. Maybe you remember that infamous priest uh, he hung out with, uh, the Tsar's wife, the Tsarina. Back in the day, I think he was assassinated in... Yes, he was assassinated in either 1916 or 1917. Now, I've forgotten. The folks, you know, the, the folks at uh, court, they didn't like this guy because uh, he seemed to be running the show from uh, the the wings, I was going to say, from the bedroom. But anyway, never mind. Uh, Rasputin is another story. Makes for wonderful films and books and plays. Uh, what I really wanted to get down to was Putin, Lenin, and Stalin. And, uh, I hate to tell you folks, but I, I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about deja vu all over again. Here we go again. This is where I came in. Yes, return to the place. Yes where we uh, started and know it for the first time. I know that we may be going to see history repeat itself. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, 
what I did do was start reading all this stuff in my newest book. I have four books in front of me now, but my newest book is all about uh, the Russian artists under Stalin. Now, I am not saying that Putin looks like a dictator or a tyrant or anything, but <laughs> you take a good hard look at the man. Uh, anyway, this book is called Fear and the Muse Kept Watch. Kept Watch, yes. And what it does is it talks about uh, all the artists, the musicians and poets and the playwrights. Okay. Okay, Pasternak to Shostakovich and Eisenstein under Stalin, even the movies. Now, this book is written by Andy McSmith. Uh, Andy McSmith is a senior reporter at The Independent, naturally. <laughs> naturally. All these people are, are, are Brits, yes. He uh, he was present, it says here, when Margaret Thatcher met Mikhail Gorbachev and when Tony Blair met Vladimir Putin. Uh, Mick Smith was educated at Oxford, lives in London, so forth and so on. And there's a long list of his books. And uh, I all I'm saying is that I think he's legit uh, and that this book... Uh, is chilling. He does not say that it's all going to happen again. He just, you know, presents a little history for our consideration. Uh, anyway, it's all about, you know, well, let's start with the writers, because that's the thing I know the most about. Uh, okay, I'm trying to remember now. Stalin died in 1956. I'm looking here at 1967. That's mm -hmm. a little essay in another book. Uh, it's in the uh, publisher's notes. Uh, let's see. It's a letter to the Congress of Soviet Writers from Lenin. Now, uh, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin died in... 1924, 1924, uh, I was uh, taught, I was counseled, uh, I learned <laughs> that Lenin was probably uh, okay in the beginning, but that he did become a pragmatist, never mind, never mind all that. Uh, I think what's interesting, of course, is that he did warn he did warn uh, the members of the party that Stalin would be dangerous. Uh, I think I think what he wanted to do was prevent the split, the schism that, of course, did occur. And uh, I'm looking here to find his letter. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like best his arguments with Maxim Gorky. Uh, Gorky uh, says that the intelligentsia are revolutionaries by nature, and uh, Lenin says no, that's not that's <laughs> that's not tough enough for him. Uh, what he wants to do, Lenin, that is, uh, 
is to not just control things, but to inspire the best. Uh, okay, he says, do you think I quarrel with the idea that the intelligentsia is necessary to us? But you see how hostile their attitude is and how badly they understand the needs of the moment. They don't see how powerless they are without us, that is, without the politicals. How incapable of reaching the masses. They will be to blame if we break too many heads. So he's, he's blaming the intelligentsia for the horrors to come. Uh, it was with Gorky that Lenin entered into the most violent conflicts. Gorky could not stand the maltreatment of the representatives of the liberal professions, the intellectuals and artists. He unceasingly harassed Lenin, intervening now for one, now for another. Even while uh, complying, Lenin was still out of patience with these proceedings, all the more so because since the very destiny of the revolution depended on its technical conquests, he highly valued the collaboration of the intelligentsia. He was prepared to give the specialists and technicians the best possible material conditions, but he expected loyal, unreserved cooperation from them. He could not share Gorky's nearly mystical views on the intelligentsia. Now, this is a little book, another little book in my hand from Grove Press, a long, long time ago, actually published in the 60s. And once again, Evergreen Books in London gives us the straight dope. Uh, this is uh, a translation, of course, uh, the writer is Nina Gurfinkel, G-O-U-R-F-I-N-K-E-L. She's trying to caution us. She tells us all about the uh, Ulyanov family. That's Lenin's family, radicals, you know. Uh, Lenin's older brother was executed for treason. Uh, well, for having treasonous thoughts for being disloyal uh, to the are to the powers that be and at the time Lenin was 17 so I kind of imagine that that, that had something to do with Lenin's uh, drive his powerful uh, what do you call that passionate uh, quest uh, very colorful these people you know you remember that movie with Warren Beatty Reds <laughs> Yes, that was a trip. I was fascinated, fascinated. Uh, it says here in this nice woman's book uh, that Lenin was optimistic because he had an unlimited confidence in man's reason. Uh, now, what he didn't have confidence in was uh, Joseph Stalin. And he writes that uh, Stalin was too rude, just plain too rude. Just before he died, he, he wrote a letter to the uh, the next Congress of the, the Party Congress. Uh, see, that's, uh, that's 1924. 
yeah, all right, he's about to die. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the things that he wrote here, now this is way back in the day, these were not revealed uh, until Khrushchev decided that uh, it was time to let the world know in 1956. And he published this letter uh, <laughs> in a large edition, in pamphlet form. Uh, the author here says that uh, Lenin was already faltering and he definitely had a sick man's fatigue, but the thought is lucid and reveals itself to be prophetic. Poor Lenin, uh, he tried. I, I don't compare him to Gorbachev, except that, you know, it seems as if once in a while some of these some of these great minds, some of these political thinkers do have a flash of insight. Oh, Lenin knew what was coming and what the people should uh what the people should uh guard against, he says in his letter to the Congress there back in now this letter is nineteen twenty two, right, okay. His illness is becoming worse at this stage. Uh, this letter uh, he calls his testament. Uh, now, he says, I should very much like to advise that a series of changes in our political organization be undertaken at this Congress. I should like to share with you those thoughts which I consider to be the most essential. I submit as of primary importance that the size of the Central Committee, on and on and on. Here he goes on to suggest that, you know, uh, more is better. Include many more uh, people in the party, in the Central Committee, instead of having this elite club. Uh, mm-hmm. Referring, yes, he goes on and on and on, and it's really kind of, kind of... Irritating, uh, he confesses or admits that uh, the revolution, the Russian revolution that is, had simply replaced the uh, czarist government, that they were basically doing uh, the same things that their predecessors had done uh, because it was impossible to change everything. Uh, he says that they have to go well, not slowly, but they have to do things one at a time. He's looking down the road, and he sees the split coming between uh, Stalin and Trotsky. Uh, we know that Stalin had Trotsky assassinated later. <laughs> Another movie, right. A lot of people only learned about Trotsky from the movie about Frida Kahlo. Trotsky came to Mexico uh, to escape his political enemies, he was there, killed, I believe, stabbed in the, uh, the head or something with an ice pick. Somebody said anyway. <clears throat> uh, interesting scenes in that film, Frida. Uh, anyway, uh, the postscript to Lenin's uh, testament. Let's read it exactly so we don't make mistake. Postscript, he says, Stalin is too rude and this fault entirely supportable in relations among us, among us communists, 
it becomes insupportable in the office of general secretary. That was Stalin's job, general secretary. Therefore, I propose to the comrades to find a way to remove Stalin from that position and to appoint to it another man who in all respects differs from Stalin, only in superiority, that is, uh, the, uh, namely, the uh, more patient, more loyal, more polite, and more attentive to comrades, less capricious, etc. This circumstance may seem an insignificant trifle, but I think that from the point of view of preventing a split, and from the point of view of the relation between Stalin and Trotsky, which I discussed elsewhere, it is not a trifle. Or it is such a trifle as may acquire a decisive significance. You got that right. Yes, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin uh, perhaps died too soon. Isn't that always the way? Uh, the one who's the most reasonable. Mm-hmm. He does go on at length talking about how uh, uh, the union of uh, the socialist republics, yes, how they have inherited so much of their administration from the old regime, he says. It was entirely impossible for us to reorganize completely in such a short time, especially during the periods of the war and the famine. For that reason, all those critics who, in a derogatory or sarcastic manner, point out the defects of our apparatus can be boldly answered that they have no concept whatever of the conditions of our present revolution. Once again, a lot of uh, young Americans will have learned their Russian history from movies, Warren Beatty's Reds. You remember in that movie, Emma Goldman is off to Russia. Everyone is joyous. Well, uh, John Jack Reed was. Uh, and uh, all these idealists really hoped that the day had come. Uh, not so fast. Emma Goldman, of course, was disillusioned. Everybody was disillusioned once Stalin began to be Stalin. Uh, what Lenin is trying to explain in these letters and testaments is what a tremendous accomplishment the revolution was. However, he says, this knowledge should not blind us to the fact that it is actually the old apparatus which we have taken over. It is the apparatus of the Tsar and the bourgeoisie. Guess this is this is his way of of excusing himself for the the methods, the torture, the the terrible terrible crimes, the purges. Uh, uh, he goes on at great length to divide up groups and classes and. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's very retro. Um, I don't know. He seems to want to separate the uh, the workers, the industrial workers, from the peasants. Uh, hmm, hmm. That would be his idea of efficiency. Never mind. 
Lenin was long gone uh, by the time Khrushchev decided that he should let the uh, feces hit the fan. In 1956, he decided to uh, tell all. And, of course, uh, everyone thought that things would change, and, of course, they did change. Uh, I always thought that Gorbachev was the best the best chance the Soviet uh, Union had to dissolve with dignity, to do the right thing. Uh, okay, uh... I think, yes, Lenin gave the greatest weight to the factor of the population's well-being. Now, this was early on. He said the food problem took precedence over all others. Bread will decide everything. Let's see. Here's Lenin confronting the men in power, giving them their responsibilities. He himself was apparently never interested in... uh, technical power. Obviously, he just wanted to be the architect of the revolution. He goes on to say to them, you do not sufficiently appreciate the importance of bread for the revolution. Do you believe that you can control the workers with agitation? We need agitation and bread. Faced with the disastrous results results of too rapid and too rigid controls, It was for the sake of this bread that he adopted his new economic policy. At that point, he conceded a certain commercial liberty in order to interest the peasants in provisioning the cities. Uh, Okay, and goes on and on here about all the ways you might educate and train the classes and then the masses. Lenin was flexible in his tactics. He was not afraid to reverse the engine momentarily. His plans were always drawn on a long-term basis. (laughs) Do you think Putin's in it for the long-term, for the long haul? What I like about this little book, Lenin by Nina Gurfinkel, is the personal stuff. I always go for the personal stuff. Uh, you know that later on, that was the worst complaint about, uh, let's see, Pasternak and uh, Solzhenitsyn and all these people. They they wrote about the personal life. <laughs> Pasternak's Dr. Zhivago, another movie most people uh, seem to believe uh, the notion that uh, the personal life was stamped out by the revolution. Uh, I'm thinking of Alec Guinness wandering around in that movie, Dr. Zhivago. He was the bastard brother. There's always a bastard brother, you know, Dostoevsky. Uh, the bastard brother in the brothers Karamazov. Uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Zhivago's brother is a, uh, let's call it hardline Bolshevik. Uh, he had the long view. He was perhaps a philosopher, but <laughs> mostly <laughs> he was a terrific foil uh, for the sort of men like Zhivago, 
who simply want to live and uh, love. Now, Lenin, it seems, was quite a romantic. There's a whole bunch of stuff about his loves. Um, his wife was a workhorse, but mostly I like the sections that describes how he lives worse than miserably himself. Uh, never any new clothes, uh, even the food. Hmm. Now, he should have known if he was going to... Uh, well, he died from arteriosclerosis. He should have been more careful with, with the food because uh, he knew that this malady is going to carry him off the arteriosclerosis. So he should have taken better care of himself, right? Uh, this book is sweet. It says that the only expression of authority Lennon allowed himself, and that was on doctor's advice, was a notice posted in his study. It said... No smoking. Now, uh, that was back in the, the good days. Uh, someone goes to visit him to ask for help or for money, and he sees uh, how Lennon lives and hasn't got the nerve. Uh, Clara Zetkin, a woman who I want to read here on KPFA soon, uh, talks about his clothing expenses. She and Lennon have wonderful talks about the women, about feminism in Soviet Russia uh, in the early days. Uh, it's Clara Zetkin. She says, I could swear, she says, that he wore the same neat, well-brushed coat in which I first saw him back in 1907 at the World Congress of the Second International Ah, one reception day when anyone could approach him, a worker about to leave for the front came to ask for a favor, and that goes on to tell the story of the worker not having the nerve to ask Lenin for money. Uh, now, Gorky told him that uh, everything, everything would be understood, uh, and that, of course, this would happen because of the arts. Okay, uh... Maxim Gorky, I just wonder, they fell out, of course, and uh, only later did they have a little connection. Uh, Morris Pasternak is another one who accords absolution to Lenin. Uh, uh -huh. He talks about the ancient and profound Russian pity for man. Lenin had pity for man and respect for man's inner freedom, and even his right to anarchy. Here's Boris Pasternak uh, absolving Lenin. Pasternak wrote, The whole of this 19th century, that's way back, its revolutions in Paris, in the generations of Russian exiles, and the assassination of the Tsars, some only plotted, others carried out. Uh, the whole of the workers' movement of the world, the whole of Marxism in the parliaments and universities of Europe, the whole of this new system of ideas with its newness, the swiftness of its conclusion, its irony and its pitiless remedies, elaborated in the name of pity, <laughs> yes, Pitiless remedies, elaborated in the name of pity, 
All of this was absorbed and expressed in Lenin. Lenin, who fell upon the old world as the personified retribution for its misdeeds. Side by side with Lenin there arose before the eyes of the world the vast figure of Russia bursting into flames like a light of redemption for all the sorrows and misfortunes of mankind. That's the end of what Boris Pasternak had to say. And once again, I'm concerned about the great red star having burnt out, and now we will see what the next great man, Vladimir Putin, has in store for his people. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air this time next week. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hello there. I'm Quincy McCoy, General Manager of KPFA, inviting you to join us Thursday, October 22nd, when New York Times bestselling author David Talbot discusses his jolting new book, The Devil's Chessboard, Alan Dulles, the CIA, and the Rise of America's Secret Government. David Talbot is the founder and former CEO of Salon.com and the author of bestsellers, Brothers and the Seasons of the Witch. I look forward to talking with David about the rise of America's secret government at the First Congregational Church in Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way. There is wheelchair access at this important KPFA event. Advanced tickets are available at brownpapertickets.com and supportive independent bookstores. Or you can find out more information at kpfa.org. For David Talbot, live October 22nd. See you there.